When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to our part two sit down with Mr. J. Manuel from America's Next Top Model. We have spoken to so many winners, so many people involved with America's Next Top Model. Janice Dickinson was here, but listen, J. Manuel is synonymous with his show. Check out part one. We talk all about how he met Tyra, the early days of them just eating ice cream and staying up all night, how the show came about, the early days of Top Model how Tyra treated him in the beginning. And now we continue that to talk about how Tyra treated him, how he decided to leave the show, how easy that was to leave the show, what happened after we get into it all. Stay tuned for part two of our chat with Mr. J. Manuel. And really listen to part one if you haven't. It's really where it all began. So talk to me about, because I mean, you decided to leave the show eventually. So talk to me about like, the you know, throughout the years, like the tension on the set, like your working relationship with Tyra. Well, I think what was um, tricky is like really when it got what uh, people are only now learning and, and I have talked about it in you know, a few interviews and, and for the first time was that I had actually decided to leave the show after cycle eight. My contracts were done. So I was free and clear to leave. And, um, and you know, I've, I've kind of spelled out that whole story of what happened, you know, because I felt that I, you know, Tyra was a businesswoman, you know, and, and she always said, you know, let's always talk, not, let's not talk to our people. So I spoke to her first just to let her know that I was leaving the show. And she definitely, she just said, I'm disappointed, but she clearly shut off and down. Um, and so they had three months to, you know, screen test and cast people. And I do know a very well-known kind of fashion, we'll say type personalities that, screen test for my role and uh, the network didn't, you know, find somebody. So basically two weeks out of production of cycle nine, they, I got a, a call from my attorney at the time and was asked, could I come back and just do one cycle just while they continue to look. And I had made other, I had another commitment and I said, I couldn't. And then basically what was intimated is I would not work for the studio again if I did not do this favor. So it was somewhat of a threat. And they, you know, and I, and I was at that time in my career where things were shifting and I was about to, and I, I hadn't yet, but I eventually ended up signing with CAA and changing all my representation and all of that. But at the time I still felt like, oh my God, this could like ruin me. I could never work for like a major studio. And, and there was fear there. Um, and so I went back and it just was not the great, greatest work environment, to be honest with you. And, you know, a lot of people have asked about it because I talked about it openly now. And now a lot of people talk about it and they run with these like salacious headlines and even interviews where I do a long interview for like major outlets and then they cut it down to seven minute interview. They always cut it to this roaring war. And, it, it, you know, it wasn't it wasn't that I mean, surely that six, that one cycle I went back was not comfortable because Tyra only spoke to me on camera. I mean, it was, she admitted that it was, she apologized for that towards the end of that cycle. I certainly didn't have the tools to deal with that kind of childish behavior, but it was certainly childish. It was really emotional. I mean, like, okay, you want to say it was just business, but you're only going to talk to me on camera. But you know, when the cameras went down, she sit next to me, she turned her back to me. I mean, it was just high school. I felt like I was reliving high school all over again. And you know, even just telling this story for the first time very recently, I didn't realize there was like a level of PTSD that went along with it because it was, it was just, it was just probably one of my, my 
the worst working environments I'd ever been in in my life at this point. And since then, I've worked on several other shows and very difficult high stakes situations and never experienced like something like that again. But the, 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 the culture behind the scenes of the show really shifted in general to a very toxic environment. You know, it was kind of ruled in this kind of like fear domain and everybody felt it. The other talent felt it, the other producers felt it. Um, a lot of people, you know, came and left from the show. Um, there were a lot of emotions around that and it, they were very real. Um, and that stemmed kind of from the top down, really. And having worked on other shows, like, is that not the norm? You know, because you hear stuff about a lot of different shows. Like, you know, having, like, is that, is, was it really that toxic compared to... Yeah, absolutely it was. I mean, look, I was a correspondent at E! for seven years. I mean, I've, I've, I've worked on all sorts of where it is a bit of like what you call the dog-eat-dog kind of world, but it wasn't as toxic. I mean, there was a producer on the show who would walk around and say, you know, everyone's replaceable, including Tyra, you know, da-da-da-da-da. It was always this thing of, instead of like uplifting, it was this always this thing of shove down and fear and, you know. Um, so we worked, I mean, the, you know, I loved my job and I loved working really hard at it. And I would give you 150% if you asked for 100%. Um, but it was never, you kind of ended up working in this world where it, nothing felt enough. Um, they were like, okay, great, got it, da 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 But, you know, they were just kind of in this world of like, oh, now we need to like always be water cooler talk. What layers do we add? da 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 da, da. And it was, again, this just this whole, it, it, yeah, it was just a weird culture to just to really sum it up without going into it in great detail would you do it differently? Cause you know, like I understand, like if you felt, you know, like scared and threatened, like that makes sense. You know, mm -hmm. like I might never work for a major network again, but like knowing what you know now, would you not have gone back for that extra season, that first season? Um, well, you can't woulda, shoulda, coulda. And I don't believe in regret. And I did go back for that one cycle. And then people say, well, then you stayed through till cycle 18. What was that like? Well, then they presented a contract to me, you know, that seemed like, oh, well, I could put, you know, get through it so to speak and who wouldn't take that and you learn you know then things kind of got better and then there were things that weren't so great either and ultimately and cycle 18 that is again when I decided to leave and leave for good because they wanted me to do they negotiated four cycles at a time I agreed to only two you know in the last which was 17 and 18 so I, I agreed to those two and I knew it would be the end and it really felt like an end end. Like I remember that last cycle, it's like, oh yeah, this is, this is the end. Um, and, uh, but I had thought, you know, I learned so much from being on a show like that for basically almost 10 years and shooting two cycles of, you know, that show a year was, uh, was, you know, a great learning lesson. And there, I do have some great friendships out of that project you know a lot of those people also left the show or left the show early on but I you know it, it was there were some wonderful things about it as well and how do you remain like you know you seem very nice and humble like how do you remain humble when basically you're asked back you know the show can't go on without you like you know like do you never had like a moment of just like you know like I don't know you brought a lot to the show like you know a moment of an ego no. Well, first of all, they that that culture didn't allow for that, but that's not also kind of who I am. I'd love to think I know what it look. I know what I brought to it, especially in the early seasons when when from the creative standpoint and really helping build the show when I was really in charge of that creative. I you know, I'm it's okay to know your value and your worth, but I never kind of took it to this ego level like, "Oh, they're not going to survive without me. I, I don't think that way. I just think, you know, in general, everyone can bring something to the table. So I don't know. I just felt like there were other things I needed to do and explore. And, and look, I would have never written a novel like this. I would have probably never written a novel. Um, but I got to bring some very real, authentic moments to this piece, which, you know, I, I I was always kind of fascinated by this interview that um, Elizabeth Gilbert had with um, Oprah once. And she had this quote that's not hers, but she didn't say who said it first. And I've never been able to find out who said this. But she said, uh, you know, every novel is really a memoir and every memoir is really a novel. 
if you want to learn the most about a person, read their novel. And I thought that was such a powerful statement because you get to, in a way, with, with writing fiction, you get to have a little more truth on the page and vulnerability. Um, this work is the most vulnerable I've ever put out into the world. Um, and if I'm honest about it, and it was the, the place that I didn't expect to get when I actually handed it off, kind of saying, okay, I'm done, because you have to kind of abandon it at some point, um, was that I realized that actually there's a piece of me, the real me, in every character, every character in that book, even the not so nice moments in the book, that's really a part of me. And um, that was, so I got to know myself in a way, in a very profound way in writing this work. And, and also, you know, Pablo Michaels, he is inspired by me, but he's not me. You know, I mean, like he struggles and early in the book, we learn he's struggling with depression. He's suppressing something. He's on antidepressants. I've never taken an antidepressant. So, it, you know, it's, I just, you know, you, I, the characters I really did separate from the people they're inspired by and they became their own, you know, on the pages of the book. But there are parts of me in every character. And, and with Pablo, his whole adoption story, which people are really learning right now, is my story. And I did put a very real you know, part of that story in the book. And I will share this with you and no one's ever asked me this. So I'm gonna tell you something because of your name. Um, in, the, in Pablo's adoption story, we learn early on, so it's not a big spoiler, that his birth mother, um, there was an adoption set up for him, and, but his birth mother would not sign the final paperwork after he's born. And so this nurse takes care of Pablo, basically, in these early months of his life. And she named him David. And it's, <laughs> it was a very healing thing for me to write, but um, that is, and no one's asked me this story, but the only name in this book that's not changed, that's a real name, is that name of David. Because he talks about it in the story that he was named David. And that was the name that was given to me. And I've never told anyone that. Wow. Yeah, so, I, yeah, it was a very healing thing. I could never even talk about that before. And look, I grew up, I love my family. I love, I had the kind of the greatest life growing up with my parents. Um, you know, a lot of people say adopted children, both my sister and I are adopted. You know, they feel like they never belong and blah, blah, blah. Not the case at all. I we just never felt that way. Um, but I did always know this story, but never vocalized it. And I remember it as an adult kind of sharing this story for the first time. I realized it triggered something in me. And so when I wrote the book and, and I knew I had to put that story in the book and give it to Pablo because it's part of the main story and plays out at the end, uh, I realized I was kind of healing that thing for me a little bit. That energy, you know, when we're born, we communicate you know, on a pre-verbal level, we only communicate with energy. And I realized there was this energy and this kind of struggle and this, I don't know if you call it like a sadness or a pain that did exist kind of in my conscious or subconscious that I had never really dealt with on some level ever. Um, so it was important for me to put it in the book. So that's why this book is so vulnerable for me. Was it less vulnerable, like, because it was fiction? Like, did you ever think that instead of writing this book at this point, you would have just written... A memoir? Yes. Um, no. Um, you know, I think one day I'll write a real memoir. Uh, and, and, and someone has asked me, well, why not write a tell-all memoir now? I'm like, how many tell-all memoirs have you read? And then you get to the last chapter, and you were waiting for the tell-all, and you never got it. You're like, all this... I already knew. Um, that's because, you know, like that quote, every memoir is really a novel. Um, a lot of novels tend to be kind of, or me sorry, memoirs tend to be somewhat fictionalized to craft a narrative. And if I really wrote the real, 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 real tell-all memoir, I'd have to move to Alaska. Um, because it would go beyond top model. I would have to really share a lot of a lot that I've seen and heard. And I don't know if I'm ready to do that. And I don't know if it's even my place to do that. Who knows, maybe one day when I'm 75, I'll write that and say, here's the realty. 
Well, I was just going to say, like, you almost need to be like, my, I'm done with my career. Like, I'm retired. So it doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter. Yeah. To, to your point, you know, I mean, I think you'd be fine, but I'm sure there'd be a lot that we would learn if you wrote the real story. <laughs> I talk to so many people on this show that when I run into someone or have them back on the show and they remember my name, I'm always blown away. It's the little details. And when it comes to sheets, the only place I turn is Bowl and Branch. Why? Because they pay attention to the little details. Bowl and Branch was formed by a husband and wife team that set out to give sleepers more choices for high quality sheets at a fair price. And boy, did they ever accomplish that. What I love is the variety of colors. I chose the pewter mainly because it goes best with my apartment. The sheets are so elegant. They look and feel so sophisticated. Sophisticated, but the price is so reasonable. That's why I chose them. They're 100% organic cotton. They are made toxin free. And what I love is they get softer with every wash. Sheets that look high end, sophisticated and elegant, but are affordable, sign me up. And that is why I did sign up. These are the only sheets I will now use. And you guys need to check this out. So listen, you can try them worry free for 30 nights with free shipping and returns. To experience the best sheets you've ever felt, choose Bowling Branch. And because you're listening to this podcast, you get an exclusive 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code VELVET at BowlingBranch.com. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L and B-R-A-N-C-H.com, promo code VELVET. I mean, so when you decided to write this, which is still vulnerable, like, did you, so you called Tyra, right? Like, didn't you tell her you were writing a no, book? Oh, no? No. I just, <laughs> I love your face on that and one. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, I did not, I didn't actually tell anyone I was writing it. Be- and, and one reason, very honestly, I thought, look, I'm going to write this. I don't know if I'm going to publish it. Really, truly, I did not know. I thought, well, I'll write it and I'll see. And then I had a lot of fun in the creative process. And then when I was way down the line, I went, oh no, I'm, I think I'm going to have to publish this. But I still, up until when I handed it off to my agent, I was still, had, I had to make the decision to, to decide, do I really want to share this with the world? Because again, yes, it's wrapped up in this salacious package. And I've said this several times, you know, stories of substance always get overlooked for viral sensations. So I had to package it in this kind of package of, you know, this piece of satire that's meant to be funny. It is, it's meant to make you kind of talk to the book, clutch your pearls. You know, there are even parts I still read of it um, where I'm like, oh my God, did I really write that? Um, But I I wanted it to kind of be fun, but I wanted to really hit on some very important themes and tropes like the cost of fame, like the abuse of power, um, not only just in the entertainment industry, but we could look at power dynamics and struggles in the workplace and also at how the entertainment industry deals with intersectionality, black woman's identity. These are very heavy things that are kind of sitting beneath this narrative. So it's not like this story or this like black story or this black woman story or this, but it's all there um, while you're reading this kind of fun piece of satire. Right. And that is, like you said, without giving anything away, like, you do have this journey of self-discovery. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like the, these themes of like, what is like the world's relation to fame? What is each person's relation to, like, I mean. And it's, fair to, it's, it's fair to say too, when you say this journey, I mean, if, if a top line note that doesn't spoil the book is it's, it's, a, it's a journey of awakening, really. And that's something we can all relate to because our life is about awakening on different levels to things and understanding who we are and ultimately getting to this place, hopefully, of kind of that that we are enough and that self-validation is really the most powerful. And most of us can say, whether you admit it or not, even some of like the biggest and most powerful narcissists uh, out there might won't admit it, but we still look for external validation in most things in life, whether you know people find us attractive or are we good enough at our job or you know, whatever it is, we're, we're looking for, you know, that external validation, but it doesn't really fill us. No, but it takes, you know, you've got to really takes a while for a lot of people to realize that yes. if they ever do. Yeah. So, I mean, did you go through this relationship with fame? Like, you know, 
which would be understandable. Like, did you, you know, like you go from, you're doing, you have, you're still the same person. I get it. You have the same career, but like when, you know, when all this was happening, did you get lost in that at any point, you know, to have, you're out the other side now, but were you ever on the other side where you're just like, Oh my God, like I'm walking down the street and everyone knows me. And like, you're still the same person, but did you let yourself go there? I'll admit it. As important as it is for me to eat healthy and put the right nutrients into my body and hydrate, I'm really not great at it. I'm always on the go. I'm never making that a priority, and I'm always hungry. This was a real problem until I discovered 310 Nutrition. I love 310 Nutrition's water hydrators. You just add them to water, and they make your water taste so much better. They also have refreshing lemonade mixes. My personal favorite, they're all-in-one shakes. I love their caramel sundae, their vanilla cake, the sham cream. I drink one of these shakes and it totally satisfies my hunger. They're low in fat and low carbs, which I love. They also satisfy my carb craving. But don't take my word for it. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code VELVETROPE and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 off your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and it's easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products you know you'll use. Go to 310nutrition.com and use the code VELVETROPE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310nutrition.com and use code VELVETROPE. Before you came back to where you are now? No, I, to be honest, um, and I don't know if it's a, I'm a product of my upbringing, and almost anyone who knows me uh, personally can attest to this, that I'm just... <sighs> First of all, I'm just always just Jay, and I and and, and I think it's really, uh, you know, my, it's really from the advice that my mom gave me, even when I moved to New York. Like, you're always gonna find ten people richer than you or earn more money than you, ten people who earn less than you, ten people better looking, ten people like you're always gonna find if you look for it, you know, this and this, the extreme. So you have to kind of find where you are in all of that. And when things started kind of taking off even beyond top model i was on e i hosted a show on style then i became the host and executive producer of canada as a top model. i was doing all these projects at once still that kind of like that observer voice in the back of my head um said well none of this is real and i guess that's because i knew that fame really isn't real because again i'd worked with a lot of celebrities and you can see them kind of real when they're at home and what have you and then when they go out it's like ah, like all that craziness like I knew what it was like when, you know, I've stepped out of a car onto a red carpet and then like all the cameras are going crazy. It's a surreal moment. I really feel sorry for people who believe that hype because even for someone who's in that position, when you get out of that car, it's not a real thing. It's not a real thing. I mean, still to this day, obviously because of my hair color against my skin tone I know I kind of stand out as a little different so usually people recognize me right away and what 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 really still shocks me is that people don't see me but then they hear me in the grocery store or talking to someone and I'll I say something people turn around and go oh my god I thought that was you because they recognize my voice which is I know I have like a unique voice um but it's always weird to me that people recognize that but I don't it's not a real thing, so it doesn't change who I am. So it never made me feel ah, anything other than who I was, so to speak. It was almost easier to kind of go to the big event or be at the fashion event or do whatever and talk to press and take pictures with people and then go home. And be, it was easier to go home and be you again, actually. That's true. And you have to, which does kind of come up. You mean you almost have to feel bad for people that. Who, who believe, their... well, people who, who buy into that. And it's, it's such an interesting time. You know, Dr. Ramani Diversala, who is one of the psychologists I talked about, and she's out there and doing all these big talk shows and stuff. She has two really, really great books that I love and read. And her last book talks about like that we're in this era of narcissism and not saying that everyone's a narcissist, but taking on some narcissistic traits, but we're, you know, with social media, et cetera we're kind of in this, this world of just our, like ourselves. And, and, um, and a lot of people, you know, when you look at reality shows, because there's so many of them now, people get into this world for, they, they're chasing fame, not their passion. You know, if we looked at, you know, we were talking about Herb Ritz and all these other, you know, major creative visionaries, they got into their craft because of their passion, not to be famous. They became famous because they, 
excelled at what they did. There's something very different there. And even the supermodels, like Tyra became an incredible model because she is a kick-ass fucking model. That's what Tyra is. She's stunning. She's great at what she does. Um, and like the other supermodels. And, and that's a very different thing um, than, than chasing fame. And I think that's where we are right now. Too many people want, instead of even exploring their passion, they put it on Instagram. They're trying to, everyone's trying to become the next Messiah. Like everyone wants to be that rather than just accept, look, I want to do me. I want to enjoy this. I'd love to earn some good money, have a good life. People aren't taking that standpoint anymore. That's true. I mean, and just from someone who interviews people all day, there's a definite difference from interviewing reality stars versus like you became famous for a skill or a career. There's a hundred percent a difference, <laughs> which is a whole nother conversation. There's a whole other conversation. Yeah. For another time. I mean, so have you heard, so since you've written this book, like what so you heard from Tyra? <laughs> I love how you asked that question. So you've heard from Tyra question. Uh, I've not heard from her actually. Um, yeah, I've not heard from her. Um, I know she's aware of the book. Um, there have been stories where a source close to her has said, we all know what the sources usually are. Um, but I, yeah, I've not heard from her. And, but if I had to kind of say, you know, I guess speak to her to, to an extent, you know, um, I don't know if she's read the book or not. I assume maybe, you know, a lot of people said, oh, she's read it. Um, but I think, and you've read the story. I think this is, you know, Keisha Cash, again, it is not her, but it's inspired by her. It, it, even with Keisha, I wanted her as a character to have this 360 portrait of a woman, a woman who is a diamond, but a flawed diamond created in a pressure cooker of a career, being a woman in an industry run by men and being a black woman in an industry that's run predominantly by white men and how and what that took to kind of stand up and become who she was. And ultimately, um, I wanted that 360 portrait and I wanted people to feel her vulnerability. I wanted people to feel empathy for her at times, you know, in the book and go, oh, wow. And really question, you know, a little bit where she may have come from. Um, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com slash velvet robe. Listen, life is full of stress. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are. Life is stressful. You may not be feeling down and out and depressed or like you're at a total loss, but if your stress level is high, like mine, your temper is shorter than usual, like mine, or even if you're starting to feel strained in any of your relationships, you could probably use the chance to unload. Unload the stress and get it out. Talk to someone who's completely unbiased and who's not going to judge you or take sides. If there's stuff you can't tell your friends or family, this is the place to do it. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain for it. Try it out. See if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Behind the Velvet Rope listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. That's B. E T T E R H E L P dot com slash velvet rope. Betterhealth.com slash velvet rope. But ultimately, I just didn't want anyone to say she was like a textbook villain. And, and you even question is she even the antagonist in the piece or not? I'll let the readers decide that without spoiling anything. But you know, I've, I've just read pieces and, 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 and seen, you know, films where it's just clear this antagonist is. I don't want to say who or what, but I've heard criticisms where we're like, well, this person is just the villain for villain's sake. You know, we never learn why. Um, and I think it's just important to kind of explore in an individual. And remember, this is told through a very specific POV. This book is written in third person limited from Pablo's POV. And, you know, 
we could easily flip this book around. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz and when then they did Wicket on Broadway, at the act break, they flip it around and we see it from a different POV, which is Elphaba, which is like the Wicked Witch. And we realize she's not really wicked, you know? So you could flip this around any which way you want. But I think it's important to just explore characters. And that's what I was doing. Did you hear from anyone else, like Janice Dickinson, Nigel, anyone associated with the show? No, well, Nigel said, you know, congrats on the book, blah, blah, blah. Uh, You know, Miss J. Miss J was actually the first person I told about the book. Um, and, and, And I'll be, it was probably a little unfair of me the way I did it as well. I told him early this spring, um, which was the day my book announced, I had an exclusive in Variety that launched the announcement of the book and that story went around the world because Variety released it. And so I called Miss J, (laughs) he was like laying in bed. It was like a half hour before the story broke. And my website was already up public, but you know, people wouldn't know to look at it. So I said, Hey, he was like, yeah, what's up? I'm like, go to my website. He's like, why? So he went to my website and he thought it was a joke. He was like, oh, is this a joke because Andre did his book with Anna Wintour? I was like, um, well, no, there's going to be a big variety piece coming in out in about 30 minutes. And he like gagged. Then he went through my website and then there's that trailer. I shot a one minute trailer which, um, with the very talented Nicole Galicia, this actress who portrays Keisha Cash. And he like, I just heard him gasp through the whole website. So he said to me, he basically like cursed me out very Miss J style. Like, why didn't you tell me? Oh, you should have told me. And I was like, okay, honestly, Miss J, if I told you, telling you is like putting out a mass email. Like Miss J can't hold water. She can't hold water. So I I, I told him that. I'm like, Miss J, you can't, girl, you can't keep your mouth closed. So I couldn't tell you before now. So he, he took offense to that, but I'm like, but you know, it's true. And he was like, well, whatever, you know, it was kind of funny. What? Cause I would imagine like you've heard from just, or even like, you know, fans or comments. Like, I mean, I assume that most people that read this book are trying to figure out what's real and what's not real, but most people just err on the side. I would assume assuming like everything's real. Well, everything is not real actually. And, and that is fair. I mean, it is a piece a work of fiction and, um, you know, I've, I've, I've received so many, the, the part of the process I didn't expect to love was, you know, you think when you, you put a book out there because people love to tear everything down. So I was told by my publisher, other, you know, best-selling authors to say, you know, look, you shouldn't read reviews, blah, 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 blah. So I, to this day, honestly, have not read any reviews. Uh, I know my team has looked at them and I've, I've received so many great reviews, which is wonderful, but I've not read them. And I was really excited that in 48 hours, I became number one in literature on Amazon, which was like a big thing. I was a bestseller on Barnes and Noble, but still I was like, okay, I, what do people really think? And with Instagram or all social media, you know, I'm very kind of active myself. And because I had such a robust social media campaign because of, um, you know, we're all in a pandemic and quarantine. Um, I started, you know, people would send direct requests, which go into a folder. I normally wouldn't see them, but I was going there to like repost people's photos and stuff. And I started receiving letters, like daily, tons of letters from people who I just didn't expect. Like people say, I got your book or I downloaded it the day it released. I read, I took off work. I read it in one day and, and I just was so moved by these letters that people, they related to either Pablo or other characters and just really getting to connect with people on a different way that was beyond fashion and beauty because people now saw me in a very different space. So I got to have conversations with people about very real things, um, which was, that's been the part I've enjoyed the most. And you love, cause writing a book is not easy. Like you love the actual process of writing a fictional book. I, you know, getting through the first, cause I had done all this work cause I thought I was going to hand it off to a ghostwriter. Um, I had this map to go by. So when I actually wrote, was actually writing the chapters in the first draft, I knew where the book was going. I knew it was going to that big moment. You know, that, that moment you're talking about that big aha twist in the third act, to be honest with you in my first draft, that twist, the big kind of one of the big kind of, kind of line blurring fourth wall breaking moments of the book 
I actually had it at the end. And I realized it couldn't be right at the end end, you know, it, it needed to move up a little bit. So I did have a lot of fun and so much so I got, I would wake up at like super early and I would be writing, you know, early in the morning and then I would take my dogs out and then come back in and I would write till late at night. And I didn't realize how much I was enjoying it, honestly. Um, even every time I would send a draft to my like writing mentor and we'd go over it, I was like, oh my God, it's like, I get to go through it again. Um, but when I turned it into my agent, like there was nothing to do and I did not expect a crash. It was bad. I, I almost hit like a bit of a depression and I felt like my dopamine levels crashed. Uh, I actually did wake up one morning and, and got inspired and I wrote this big treatment to another story that has nothing to do with the characters in this world. It's a little, takes place a little bit in the future. I think it might be something I'm, I will definitely write at some point, but I for sure, I, I did not expect to enjoy the solitude um, being alone at my desk. I turned my alerts off on my computer. My phone was off and it did affect some relationships because even as much as I've worked in my career, I'm always available to my close friends and my family. And this book was the first thing that actually took my availability kind of away. And then when it was over, it was during quarantine. You were just like, Oh, wait a second. I'm in my, Oh nice no, no, house. no. This is well before quarantine. Oh, oh okay. Gosh, no. Oh no, no, no. The book, oh, the book, oh no, it takes forever to get like the book out there. The book was the, the, the submission draft that was like done going in was, was early before. last summer, 2019. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's so I mean, weird. A lot of people sense. think like, oh, I just wrote this book early in quarantine and published it in the summer. That's not how it works. But, no, yeah. I mean, now that you're saying it like that, I'm like, well, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah you're yeah. not just gonna. But how crazy is that? I did not know a pandemic was coming. I did not know the top model would become, which has been off the air for two and a half years that people would start binge watching Top Model again and it becoming just this huge thing. And then this new audience coming in and criticizing the show. And then, then my book announced. So people started thinking that I just like wrote this book and put it out there all of a sudden, you know, but no, this book was planned already. I Listen, it's not easy to write a book. So I mean, yeah. Do you like, did you like doing the whole red carpet aspect of the business, like being on E? Like, is that a part of the business that you like? I really did enjoy it early on. Um, and kind of like we discussed, you know, I think I did it for seven years and it was really fun because I started when, right when Ryan started and we were all had our own position on the carpet. So it was really Ryan, Juliana and myself. And it was a different, you know, at that time. And, um, it was a lot of fun in the beginning. For me, the last year of my coverage for E, I kind of felt like, because we would do the pre-shows and the live shows, I felt like we were saying the same thing. It was always the same thing. And because I would have to focus on fashion, although I did do interviews as well with stars, depending on the event, it still felt like the same thing for me. And, and I knew my heart wasn't in it on my last Academy Awards because here we're supposed to be celebrating talent and art. And I remember being counting, they were counting me down 30 seconds to live, we're 30 seconds away, we're 15 seconds away. And I remember thinking, okay, here we go again, I'll find the energy. Like I, I was thinking to myself, we'll find the energy. Then we go in and do a two hour live broadcast. And of course I found the energy, but it was that kind of weird moment of why am I here? And I had that moment literally as I went live, like to the world and I thought, that's not a reason to be here, you know, to like, you have to figure yeah. out why you're here, you know? Yeah. Cause you could always find the energy. I mean, you're a professional, but right. Like to your point. Like, why am I here? Yeah. Is, was there, what was your favorite award show out of all of them? Um, you know, I mean, in terms of doing the carpet, uh, yeah. a lot of them, I would say, well, the Golden Globes seemed kind of fun because it was a different setting, but Golden Globes and the Grammys and, the, and we introduced the, the Glam Clam 360, you know, with me. And that was always fun getting the celebrities in there and doing fun poses with them and all that kind of stuff. And we had like really fun moments. And I remember, our, you know, 
you know, even people like Beyonce saying to me like, oh, well, I don't want to screw it up because, you know, they're in a camera array. It was like fun. That, that, it felt fun. It was like, yeah. So I'd say the Grammys probably. Is there any, and the Grammys probably has a little more risque fashion compared to like, mm-hmm. say, the Oscars. I mean, is there, to your point of Beyonce, like, is there any celebrity that even though you don't get starstruck that you haven't met that you're just like, I really want to meet this person or a person, like historical figure, anyone like, like oh, I wow. would die to meet Madonna. Like if I met Madonna, I would be dead. So that would be <laughs> my person. Like, gotcha. do you have one or two people you just are like, I've met so many people, but this is just one person I'd like five minutes with? Well, I don't know if I'd be starstruck and freak out, but for instance, I would love to be able, and I'll call it a real conversation, not even a five minute conversation. Like if I could have lunch with and really get in and talk about craft and find out who the real person is, you know, people like, oh, you know, like Kate Blanchett, like um, Denzel Washington, you know, people like these, these people who have the ability to, uh, like transcend, you know, just acting. Like I love, like Kate Blanchett, I've talked about her even on E and on the carpet. Like I love the way her style and everything, like her, there's a regality about her, but I also just love how she kind of embodies these characters. Um, Viola Davis, I talk about all the time. Um, I, I know we've, we've never met in person, although we've kind of, you know, talk through social verse, but I mean, I would live to meet her, you know what I mean? Like, and, and like actually hang with her. That's someone I would want to hang with. Those are good ones. How to Get Away with Murder was one of the best shows that's ever existed. If you haven't watched yeah. it. Oh, I've watched all of it. And okay. actually one of the reasons why, you know, with my story, you know, having a Keisha Cash, who is a black supermodel, you know, in that role, I look at like what Shonda Rhimes and what, you know, did with that. She blew open the door for allowing a black female lead to be an anti-hero because we loved Annalise Keating. Then we didn't trust her. Then we hated her. Then we felt sorry for her. Then we loved her again. And so that's how I look at Keisha Cash. I look, I compare her to an Annalise Keating in that regard. Like she's this flawed human being that we love, we hate, we don't trust. Like we have every emotion for her. Yeah, I mean, to your point, she wasn't just hated. She wasn't just the anti-hero at all. Yeah. yeah. Well, what about to that point? You know, you were, I mean, America's Next Top Model was on UPN back, mm-hmm. I mean, that the beginning, was, yeah. like, the UPN network was kind of ahead of its time. I guess, oh, you mean, you mean when it went away or in the beginning? Well, like, in terms of, like, you know, you had, like, a lot of, racial representation on America's Next Top Model and the whole network. You know, now it's a thing. It's a thing. Like, we have Garcelle Bouvet, who's, like, you know, now cast on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and they purposely went out. I mean, Garcelle's amazing. They purposely went out and tried to say, we need racial diversity in this cast. Like, I just, I don't know. I think of America's Next Top Model as kind of doing that. Oh, absolutely. And it was done, I think it was just kind of, it just happened that way. I mean, you had Tyra who is a black woman, you have Miss J, um, you know, myself, I'm biracial, you know, a lot of people think I'm Spanish, I'm, I'm not actually not Spanish. And then, um, you know, even Nigel, whose mother is Sri Lankan, and his father was, you know, English. So, you know, it was just this interesting melting pot, which was just, but we were just there doing our jobs, we weren't there representing anything, you know? Yeah, that's what I mean. It was kind of just natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've kind of done it all. Like, do you have a favorite aspect of the business? <laughs> favorite aspect of the business? I mean, um, you've done the red carpets. I mean, you've done it all, really. For me, I just, I'm really a cre. I love creative process, to be honest with you. I love creation. Um, I love something that's new. Um, like, how do we, like, what are we doing that, we, that we're creating that is new? Um, so, and that's why I think I was really intrigued by writing the book because it was, it forced me to step way out of my comfort zone and do something completely new that's creative. And I think that's why I was definitely motivated by it. And what do you want people to take away from this book? Hmm. Wow. There are a lot of takeaways. I mean, ultimately... 
I think the biggest one, it, it, it is, which we already discussed, which is this idea that, you know, all of us are on this journey of, 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 of really self-love and self-validation and, and what does that really mean? Because we can all talk about self-love, but mixed in this world that right now we're, it's all about identity. And my piece is somewhat of an identity piece is like, how do we find out who we are and where do we really find that joy? And what joy really means, because joy and happiness are two very different things. Um, and, and joy is this thing that really brings us a sense of peace um, and just in just being who we are, because we can't change that. And what's happiness then? Well, happiness is something that's a little more fleeting, I think, ultimately. Like I could say, oh, like I love, you know, running outside and playing ball with my dogs, like it makes me happy and da 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 da. But joy is something that runs a little deeper. Joy is something that really never really goes away once you really can, can tap into it because we can have good days and bad days. We can have days where we're in a bad mood or we're angry, this or that. But joy comes from a place of self-acceptance, I think. And, and this place of kind of love for ourselves and really our differences. That makes sense. And our final two questions as we wrap up, how would you describe your own style? <laughs> in one word, I'm moody. It depends on the mood I'm in. I mean, I'm really like a suit and tie person. My grandfather was a, like a master tailor. I, I love being very, very classic actually, but I love street style. I love, um, I love playing with fashion. I think it's not meant to be taken seriously and way too many people take it seriously. It's like moods. We're in one mood one day, we're in one in another. So I, I'd say it's always evolving and it's not meant to be taken seriously, really. I would agree with that. And finally, the silver hair. I mean, are we ever going to see you without silver hair? Not that I mind it. I'm just, <laughs> I mean, now that it's become your trademark, even though people don't recognize you by it, I guess they recognize you by your voice more. No, they actually recognize me by, they, they do recognize me because by the hair, but it, it's also weird that people can recognize me by my voice. Um, the hair, you know, when I was writing the book and I posted a picture when quarantine started, um, it was like a throwback pic on like a Thursday. I don't know. It's not that far back in my feed, but um, when I was actually writing the book, la the winter before last, so like end of 2018, beginning of 2019, I decided like maintaining my hair color because it has to be colored like every 14 days and I don't do it myself, it's like a pain. Um, I decided when I was writing, I didn't have time for hair color. So I actually would just go to a barber just to keep my hot, like, like just like faded out buzz. But I grew super long roots and let all my black hair grow in and I kind of had somewhat of a bit of a mohawk. So it was kind of fun. Um, I need to go back in your feed and find this picture. It's not that far back. I did it as a, a throwback right at the beginning of quarantine, like in March or something, March, April, oh, I, I threw a throwback it. pick from, uh, yeah. But, but I did post actually several picks the winter before and people were like, what is he doing? It's because I was writing and I just didn't have time to deal with my hair. So, but I'll I don't know if I'm going to go back to my, my natural color. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like I had it most of my life and then uh, I actually colored my hair somewhat on a dare by Tyra. Um, in season one, people know I had my dark hair. Like, and then in the middle of season one, I remember showing Tyra this illustration of like Flash Gordon, but he looked like the way the animator drew him, it was like, looked like he was my complexion and he had white hair, not blonde. And I said, wouldn't it be cool to have like silver white hair? And she's like, you should do it. And I'm like, well, maybe when we finish production, she goes, I dare you. So as soon as we wrap production, one week later, um, I actually, I remember going to the Orbe Salon and Anthony Palermo, who does like all the color, he's done color for Madonna, all these people. He colored my hair that first time and it stuck. And that's how it came about. Yeah. Interesting. Well, before we go, I'd like to give people, is there anything we haven't covered? Anything else that we did not discuss today that you would like to discuss? <laughs> oh my gosh, we've talked about so much. Um, you're so easy to talk to. I feel like I'm like, hanging with like one of my friends on FaceTime. I don't know, you're super easy to chat with. We can chat again. I'll like, I'll say hi. You can come back <laughs> on this show anytime you would like also. All right, perfect. You, I mean, trust me, I could talk to you for like seven hours. I'm just trying to be respectful of your time. <laughs> okay.
before I get like an email afterwards, like, why did you keep Jay on for so long? I don't even know the time. I wasn't even paying attention. We chatted for a minute. Okay. Um, where can everyone find you online? Well, my website is jmanuel.com, spelled out, J-A-Y-M-A-N-U-E-L.com. You can learn all about the book. There's even a link there. My book is available everywhere books are sold. On my website, it gets you to all the main vendors, but Amazon, Barnes & Noble, if you're e-book, you can be like, you know, Apple Books everywhere. It's everywhere. So, um, yeah. And people, I'm telling you. And my social media is just at Mr. J. Manuel on Instagram and Twitter. And Facebook is J. Manuel Official. Yeah. That's easy. And this book, I'm telling you, everyone needs to read it. It's amazing. For real. It's very good. Thank you. I, I read it in like one day as well. I didn't take off work, but it was a Saturday and I was like, I, I, I'm not going to go out tonight. I just have to finish this book. So here we oh, go. Oh, wow. That's, a, that's really exciting. I'm, I'm yeah. glad that you dove into it and got into it. It was excellent. So will, will I talk again? I'll like reach out to you. You were like a great, I really appreciate you taking your time. Oh, no. Again, you were super easy to talk to. And I love that we could talk. I mean, I've shared some things I haven't talked to anybody about. So it was, yeah, it's a testament to you being very easy to chat with. I, that's what I like to hear. I like, I like it when people reveal things that they've never revealed anywhere else. Oh, cool. Perfect. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. And we'll definitely talk soon at some point. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) All right. Take care, David. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review. Because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones. And the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you, guys. See you soon.